Take your Bibles and open them up to Exodus. We've been studying through the second book of the Bible, and today we want to wrap up our series. We're going to focus on a prayer of Moses, interaction that Moses had with God in Exodus chapter 33, verses 12 through 33. I believe this prayer provides a strategic outline for our communication with God throughout the year. We're going to see four lessons or four principles uh, from that prayer regarding our communication with God. As you're turning to chapter 33, let me set the context. In the book of Exodus, you remember, God delivered the children of Israel from slavery and then graciously gave them a law to live by. He said, you are my people. I chose you. You are it. And I'm going to give you these instructions that you can live by. He gave them uh, the civil law. Here's how you interact with each other. He gave them the ceremonial law. Here's how you worship me. And then he gave them the moral law. The moral law summarized in the Ten Commandments, and we've been going over the Ten Commandments uh, in the last few weeks. It was God who, it seems, spoke the Ten Commandments from the mountain, and all the people heard them. And then after that, he called Moses up to Mount Sinai. Look at chapter uh, 24. If you'll flip back to chapter 24 in Exodus, uh, look at verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commands I have written for their instructions. So God's going to, calls Moses up. He says, I'm going to give you these stones that I've written with my finger the laws and instruction. Then go to verse 15. Here's what the people saw. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered, covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. Now, what would the glory of the Lord look like? We talk about that, the glory of God, the glory of the Lord. What would that look like? We get a little picture here. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud, and to the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like what? A consuming fire on the top of that mountain. Just think about that. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up into the mountain. He enters this consuming fire, what looks like consuming fire, and he stayed on the mountain for 40 days. Now remember... Israelites had been in slavery for how long? Anybody remember? 400 years, right? 430 years. Polytheism, worshiping all kinds of gods, all they had known for generations. So that was the culture they were raised in. And let's face it, culture rubs off on us, doesn't it? That's all they knew. When the ten plagues came, God went against ten of those gods. So they saw that God was more powerful than the gods that the Egyptians worshipped. But now they had been out of Egypt for only 30, uh, 90 days. And now Moses had gone up on this mountain. He entered what looked like a consuming fire. How could anyone survive that? He was gone for 40 days. And they concluded, he's not coming back. Now, let's just think about that. In, 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 in practical terms, if someone was missing 
for 40 days, don't you think you'd start losing a little hope that they were coming back? You'd start doubting they were coming back. That's what happened. Look at chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. We saw him go into consuming fire. He's not coming back. Since Moses was gone, by the way, the only leader they had had for 400 years, except for Egyptian slave masters. Moses is gone. Their leader is gone. They revert back to what's comfortable. That sound familiar? (laughs) When God leads us to something and it gets tough, and maybe some things happen that we're not so sure about, Moses is gone. You know, we think if God's leading us, it's all going to be smooth, and that's not the case. It's always a temptation to what? To go back. That's what they do. So Aaron, instead of leading, becomes an enabler. He took all the gold jewelry. Remember when they left Egypt? They had all this gold jewelry and plunder from Egypt. And he takes all the jewelry, and he, he puts it into the fire, and he takes a tool... He takes a tool, it says, Scripture says, and he fashioned the gold into a golden calf. He fashioned it with the tool. Don't forget that. We'll come back to that in a second. Look at uh, chapter 32, verse 4, the middle of it. Then they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. How quickly they forgot. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there's going to be a festival, and the next day the people rose up and They sacrificed burnt offerings, and they presented fellowship offerings, and afterwards they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. So quickly, they uh, they jettisoned what they knew to be true about God. God's on the mountain with Moses, and God says, Moses, your people, they're a mess and you better go take care of it. I love this dialogue between Moses and God. Check this out. Verse 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people, Moses, they are your people, whom you brought out of Egypt. You brought them out of Egypt. They are corrupt. Go down and take care of it. Look what Moses says in verse 11. Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God. Oh, Lord, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt? It wasn't me, it was you. You brought them out with a powerful and mighty hand. No one wants to claim the Israelites at this point. In fact, God says in verse 9, my anger burns against them and I, I, I feel like destroying them. Let's just do that. Let's destroy them, Moses, and then I'll make you a great nation. Moses says, don't do that. And he prays that God doesn't do that, and God relents in chapter 32, verse 14. Disaster doesn't come. So Moses goes down, and he sees the partying, and he sees the dancing around this golden calf. Look at verse 19. When Moses approached the camp, 
He saw the calf and the dancing, and his anger burned. Check this out. He threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain, the tablets that God had written on. It's interesting, isn't it? The people were breaking the law, and so Moses throws the tablets down, and the law is broken in a literal way in front of them. He took the calf they had made in the fire, and and he ground it into powder, and he scattered it on the water, and he made the Israelites drink it. That sounds kind of strange. Why would he do that? Well, first, it's ground into powder, but he has them drink it because when they drink it, they they are identifying with the sin. That golden calf is now part of them. There's an identification with the sin. And then he turns to Aaron and says, Aaron, what were you doing? Where were your leadership gifts? Why did you do this? Look at verse 22. Aaron said, don't be angry with me, Lord. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. And they gave me the gold. I threw it in the fire. And voila, out came this calf. (laughs) This is amazing what happened. I don't even know how that happened. Except that we learned earlier he had a tool and he fashioned the calf. We never want to own up, do we? We never want to own up to our sins. Great judgment fell on Israel. Many people died. A plague came, but that wasn't the worst of it. Look at chapter 33, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people that you brought out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. Verse 2 is interesting. I will send what? An angel before you and help you drive out the the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites, Parasites, Hivites, uh, Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to send that angel, but look at verse 3. End of verse 3. But I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. I'm going to send an angel, but I will not go with you on your own. Okay, so in the rest of chapter 33, God, Moses, pleads with God to change his mind about going with him. Moses doesn't want to go anywhere without God. And in this interaction, I, I see four Uh, important principles that I believe are strategic for us individually and as a church over this coming year. And I'm going to put out these four principles uh, to you. We could could get a lot more principles out of these, but let me give you four. And I'm going to challenge all of us to to implement these during 2017. All right? So, Here's the first one. Let's start with Scripture. Chapter 33, verse um, verse 7. Now Moses used to take a tent. Just picture this in your mind. He used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away. So he takes a tent. He walks outside the 
camp and he sets it up some distance from where all the people are camping and he called it what? Called it the tent of meeting. Later on, it's going to become the tabernacle. But he calls it now the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and they stood at the entrances of their tent watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, a pillar, the pillar of cloud, would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the Lord spoke with Moses, or, or why the Lord spoke with Moses, whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they stood and worshiped each at the entrance of his tent. Look at verse 11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with a friend. Man, wouldn't you love that written about you? The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Now, that's a figure of speech there because you can't see, we'll see in a minute, you can't see God's face and live. But the intimacy, God spoke with Moses just like a man or woman speaks with his or her friend. So the first principle is this. As Moses took that tent outside in in an undistracted area, right? He He could have pitched it inside the camp, but there were too many people there. So he takes it a distance away, and he pitches his tent, and that's his place of prayer. So here's the first challenge. Establish in your life a tent of meeting. Establish a a regular place and time to meet with God. Establish a regular place and time to meet with God. Now, a couple things here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18 says, rejoice always. That's a tough word, isn't it? Always. Pray how often? Continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. So what Paul's telling us there, what he tells the Thessalonians and tells us, is have prayer, let prayer be a, a habit, let prayer be an attitude of your life. Always pray. You can pray anytime. You can interact with me at any time. And you need to do that. Pray continually. And... There needs to be a time in your life, in your day, when you set aside to meet with me. A regular time to meet with God. So, where will you pitch your tent? Where will that be for you? Where will you meet with God? I think sometimes we make prayer so mysterious and and so hard that we forget it is simply communicating with God. So where will you find that time and place to meet with God? It doesn't have to be a hidden closet. For you, it may be a more active situation, but it's a time you set apart to meet with God. For me, it's when I run in the morning. Sometimes it's really early in the dark, sometimes it's not. But when I run, that's the time where I meet with God. That's my tent of meeting. That's why people say, oh, you should run in a running group. I don't want to run in a running group. I want to come and run with you. I don't want you to run with me. (laughs) First, you run faster than I do, and I can't keep up. I'm dying at the end. Secondly, that's that's my tent of meeting time. I have five laps 
in, my, in, in our little neighborhood. I got Lori and I got four kids. So that works out. Half of those, I'm praying for the kids. The other half, I, I pray for different things. I use different things to pray with. So recently, first one, I've been saying, Lord, my mind, captivate my mind. Take my mind captive. I don't want to think the thoughts I thought yesterday. Forgive me for those. And help me to think the thoughts you want me to think today. Control my, my mind. Then I go down to my eyes. God, help me to see the things you want me to see. And don't let me see things I shouldn't see. Keep my eyes disciplined today. Then I go down to my ears. God, let me hear from you today. What do you want me to hear? And when I'm hearing from other people, filter that. Because again, I can hear the things I want to hear. Then I go to my mouth. My prayer there is pretty easy. Keep it shut today. <laughs> where words, Proverbs says, where words are many, what? Sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. So just watch what I say. Help me. This morning it was, help the words to come out the way you want them to come out. And then I go to my heart. God, help, help me form my heart, the, the, the center of my emotions and, and, and will. Form it the way you want it. Take my heart. I want it to be yours. In the past, I've used, and you may use this, acts, A-C-T-S, adoration, first lap, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I spoke at a conference years ago in, in Spain, and a missionary there taught me this one. Uh, uh, it's A-C-A-S-O, and that is the Spanish word. He told me it means, by the way, and he would say, by the way, have you prayed? That was his acronym he used, and it was basically the same as Acts with one addition, adoration, confession. The A was like God's graciousness, God's think, thanking God for his grace, supplication. And then the last one was the word or, which he said meant to listen. Because he said, I pray. I'm always doing the communication, right? If a man speaks with a friend, they're both talking. It's not a, it's not a monologue. It's a dialogue. So God, I want to listen to you. So sometimes on my five laps, it's the, God, I'm, I want to listen. I've been, I've been doing all the talking. I want to hear from you. I've never heard an audible voice. But there are times when God prompts me in my spirit and reminds me of things that are from him. We, we just make, too, we make prayer too complicated. And I bet you if we did a survey and said, how many of you are satisfied with your prayer life? I bet the number would be small, and, I, and I'd be among that percent of not satisfied, because I'm not. We make it too complicated. One of the best descriptions of prayer I've ever seen is from a guy named Francois Fenelon. He was a, a Roman Catholic, French Roman Catholic priest. He lived in the 1600s and early 1700s. Listen to what he says. Here, here's a... Tremendous description of prayer. It takes all the mystery out of it. Tell God all that's on your heart. As one unloads one's heart, its pleasures and its pains to a dear friend. Tell him your troubles, that he may comfort you. Tell him your joys, that he may sober them. 
Tell him your longings that he may purify them. Tell him your dislikes that he may help you conquer them. Talk to him of your temptations that he may shield you from them. Lay bare your indifference to good, your depraved taste for evil, your instability. Tell him how self-love makes you unjust to others, how vanity tempts you to be insincere, how pride disguises you to yourself and others. If you pour out your weaknesses, needs, and troubles, there'll be no lack of what to say. You'll never exhaust the subject. It is continually being renewed. People who have no secrets from each other never want for subjects of conversations. They don't weigh their words, for there is nothing to be held back. Neither do they seek for something to say. They talk out of the abundance of their heart. Without consideration, they say what they think. Blessed are those who attain such familiar, unreserved conversation with God. That's, that's good stuff right there. That's a great description of prayer. By the way, I'll put that on our website, on, that, on the blog part of our website this week. Francois Fenelon, description of prayer. Just say what's on your heart. The more mysterious and the more unnatural we make prayer, the less we will pray. And communication with someone we love shouldn't be a chore or something we dread. It should be something we look forward to. And when we miss it, we miss that connection with God. Now, one more thing. As you're doing your 10 a meeting thing and you say, I'm going to pray, please don't say, if, if, you're, if you're just getting started, please don't say, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to be praying for 45 minutes every morning at 4.30. First of all, I don't know where we got that. The earlier you pray, the more godly you are. I haven't figured where we, where we got that in Scripture. But secondly, you're going to fail. And then when you fail, you're going to say, forget it. So uh, I run, right? So when I run, sometimes I run and my hamstring just goes on me. And uh, I complained to my daughter, who's a runner. My hamstring popped again. And she said, do you stretch? No, I don't stretch. Well, if you don't want that to happen, you need to stretch. So... Popped again, and I said, complaining, do you stretch? No. So she calls up one day and says, Dad, I got an appointment made for you at the physical therapist. It's this time and this day. Be there. I thought, that, I thought when your children started parenting you, I thought it was later in life, but then it happened to me, right? So I go, and, and they start giving me these stretches. And the, per, the physical therapist, she said, man, yeah, your hamstring is tight, and here are some things you can do. So... She says, here's what I want you to do. So I started doing it, and I was grimacing. And she says, that hurt? I said, yeah, it hurts. And she said, don't do it until it hurts. Just put the tension on it. Here's what she said. Because if you do it where it's painful every time, guess what? You'll quit doing it. Put the tension on it. Keep stretching it. You want to do it where you do it continually. I thought, man, that's a great lesson. So if, you've, if you don't have a tin of meeting and this is all new to you, <clears throat> now you're starting out five minutes. Just put the tension so it's not so painful. You say, I'm not going to do this anymore. And then you grow in that, in that muscle, in that exercise of the spiritual discipline of prayer. Second principle. Look at chapter 33, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, Lord, lead these people 
but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. And you've said, I know you by name, and you've found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Teach me your ways so that I can know you and continue to find favor with you. So, second thing I learned from this passage is establish a plan for God's instruction to you. And where would you find that instruction to you? Right here in his word. Right here in his love letter to you. Have a plan to read God's, God's word. As we read God's word, Second Timothy 3, 16, 17 tells us, he tells us when we get off the path, he tells us how to get back on the path, and he tells us how to stay on the path. Now, there are a lot of ways you can figure out how you're going to read God's word, but you've got to figure it out. Got to have a plan. One, you can just go Google Bible reading plans, and you can get a ton of plans that fit your lifestyle and schedule, but you've got to have a plan. For years, long before uh, we were part of Back to the Bible, we used Back to the Bible's Bible reading plan. They used to come in card stock with the threefold, and we had them all over the place. Now you can go get them online. I have that for you in your sermon notes. They have a 21-day challenge if you're just getting started, a 90-day challenge, a six-month challenge, or a one-year through the Bible reading plan. And there are five one-year through the Bible reading plans. You can read it in chronological order. You can read it in the historical order that it appears in history. You can read the Old Testament and New Testament together. You can do a beginning to end, start in Genesis 1-1, go on through Revelation, or a blended together. We do daily devotions. And I write them, and I even record them as a little podcast. And you can get those. You can go sign up for those on our website. They come right to your inbox. We are going through the Bible this year, journeying through the Bible. Today's Genesis 1-1. We won't hit every verse, but we'll be going through the Bible. You may want to use that. There's a book, Journey Through the Bible, that we've done. I don't get any money for that. You can go buy that book, and you can use it. It has the devotions, the same devotions I'm reading, printed, the same devotions that come to your inbox, and it also has a Bible reading plan, the Back to the Bible reading plan, in that as well. So you can go do that. But you got to have a plan. So what are you going to do? Or you could be sitting here at the end of 2017 thinking, ah, I should have had a plan. I missed another year. Time to pray, time to spend in God's word. Here's the third thing I see in chapter 33. Pray for a fresh realization of God's presence. Now remember, God was angry with Israel, and he said in verse 3, I'm not going to go with you because I might destroy you on the way. Look at verse 14. Look at verse 15. Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. We don't even want to go if you don't go with us. That angel you're going to send, not enough. We need you. We need your presence. Look at verse 16. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me 
and with your people unless you go with us. What else will distinguish me and your people from the other people on the face of the earth? I love that. Moses said, I'm I'm nobody without you. I'm normal. I'm regular. My significance is in you. How will I be any different than anybody else unless your presence is right there with me? That's a prayer to pray, isn't it? Now, as believers, we have the Holy Spirit that lives in us. The moment we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit moves and lives within us, and he transforms us, and he seals us, and he indwells us, and he convicts us, and he teaches and guides and gifts and assures and prays for us. And there's one thing that we need to do. It's in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Paul says, do not get drunk with wine. Why would he use such a base illustration? Well, because people either haven't, have gotten drunk with wine or they know someone who has it. They're controlled by an outward substance. They know what that's like. There are a lot of people probably today, right, who know what that's like. Controlled by an outward substance. Don't do that. Instead... Be what? Filled or, that word means, be controlled by the Spirit. So our prayer as believers, Ephesians 5, 8, God control me today. That's part of the prayer when I'm running, right? God control my mind. On my, I'm nothing without you. On my mind, it's gonna, on my own, it's going to go south. God control my eyes on, on my own and it's not going to be good. Control what I hear, control, control what I say, control my heart. I need your control all the time. And this is not like a, a Monday prayer that's supposed to last us through the week. This is like all the time. This is part of the praying continually. I'm going into a meeting. I'm going to blow it on my own. God, please control what I say. I'm in this situation. I am going to mess it up on my own. Lord, please control my heart. Please control my feelings on this thing. I need your presence. I need a fresh realization of your presence. This is not, when we ask for that, this isn't like sitting in some yoga stance and doing hmm, all that stuff. This isn't that mysterious. It's God, control me. Because who am I? If your presence doesn't go with me, I'm toast. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. That's the prayer. Don't even send me if you're not going to go with me. And as a believer, we know that God's with us. One more. Pray that this year you will experience God's glory in a fresh way. Look at verse 18. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. By the way, this is some bold prayers. Moses, again, Moses and God spoke together as a friend would speak with each other. So you can see how friends speak to each other, how God and Moses spoke to each other. Moses says, show me your glory. God says, Moses, you don't even know what you're asking for when you say, show me your glory. I'll cause my goodness. It's an interesting, we use that word glory, right? And it, it's kind of like up here, and we really don't know what it means, but God uses the word goodness. I'll show you my goodness. It's going to pass in front of you, and I, procl- I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. Have mercy on those I have mercy, and I have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one can see my face and live. But Moses, you prayed a bold prayer, and I'm going to answer it. Here's what I'm going to do. The Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. 
when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to cover you with my hand until I pass by and then I'm going to protect you and then I'm going to remove my hand and you can see my back but my face, man, if you saw my face, you'd like, it would melt. But you can see my back. You, pull, you prayed a bold prayer and you're going to see my glory from my back. It's the glory of God. It's, it's his majesty, it's his greatness, it's his love, it's his goodness, it's his forgiveness, it's his mercy, it's his grace. Don't you want to experience those things in a fresh way? I do. I need that. So what can you do this year to experience the greatness of God? So anyone ever do a, has anyone ever done a New Year's resolution? Anyone ever keep a New Year's resolution? We like to talk. We like to talk about stuff, don't we? And then not do it. But what we're talking about today calls for action, a tent of meeting. Where's it going to be? Reading the word. What's the plan? How are you going to pray that you get a new sense of God's presence? How are you going to What's going to happen? What are you going to do where you get a new sense of God's glory, his greatness? So uh, this book uh, C.S. Lewis wrote years ago called The Screwtape Letters. Anyone familiar with it? The book is about a senior devil teaching a junior devil how to tempt Christians. In the book, God is called the enemy. And this senior devil is teaching this junior devil how to tempt Christians. And there's a, there's a poignant part in this book that says, uh, get them to talk about a lot of stuff, but not do anything. Listen to this. Again, senior devil teaching a junior devil. The great thing is to prevent his doing anything. As long as he does not convert it into action, it doesn't matter how much he thinks about this new repentance he has. Let the little brute wallow in it. Let him, if he hasn't been to, write a book about it. That is often an excellent way of sterilizing the seeds which the enemy plants in a human soul. Let him do anything but act. No amount of piety in his imagination and affections will harm us if we can keep it out of his will. As one of the humans has said, active habits are strengthened by repetition, but passive ones are weakened. The more, check this out, the more often he feels without acting, the less he will be able to ever act. And in the long run, the less he will be able to feel. I'm going to read that again. The more often he feels without acting the less he'll be able to act and in the long run, the less he'll be able to feel. So the best things we can do for Satan is what? Just think about it. Be a good thing to do. Maybe I ought to do that. But never get anything done. Think, but not act. So, 
In your bulletin, you have an opportunity for some action. Take out your bulletin, if you would, your sermon notes. Action steps. We're going to give you some time here in the service. Kirk is going to come out, give you a few minutes to look over this on your own and write down some things that you're going to do. Got to do something. Can't just talk about it anymore or read about it or think about it or meditate on it. You got to do something. So the first one is at the end of that sermon note page, what will I do to establish a tent of meeting? Where's it going to be? What are you going to do? Where are you going to set aside time to, to pray? Put a place and a time and how long you're going to be there. Again, make it realistic. Stretch, but not pain yet because you won't do it if it's 45 minutes at 530 in the morning. Be realistic. Maybe you're an evening person. So, so pray then. What plan will I use to read God's word? Got all these opportunities. Maybe I'll come up with my own plan. Now, you've got to get going because it's January the 1st, so if you start tomorrow, you're a day behind, right? I'll come up with my own plan. I'm going to read through the Psalms this year, so I'm going to figure out how I'm going to read through the Gospels. But you've got to have a plan. And I always love having a plan because I, I know if I'm behind or I know if I missed one. I, I, there's some self-accountability there. How will I experience a fresh realization of God's presence? How, how am I going to pray, God, I need your control in this area? Jot down some areas you need God to control you. I got plenty. What are yours? And how will I experience God's greatness in a fresh way. Um, I, I don't know how that's going to work for you. I don't know what you should do. We, next week we have International Ministry Week here. Maybe you ought to think about a mission trip. I tell you what, there's nothing that stretches me and I see God's greatness, how big he is when I go across the world and say, man, I thought he was just in my little bubble. Are you serious? He's a God of the world. Maybe you say, I can't go on a mission trip, but you could go down to the city mission or a mission near you, or you could go down to Wilkinsburg. I guarantee you, Dave, I'm sure Dave will find some things for you to do and see. You could prayer walk around Wilkinsburg. That's what we did with our staff and some of our staff on Christmas at our Christmas uh, dinner. We had it in Wilkinsburg and had time to walk around Wilkinsburg and prayed for different areas. So how are you going to stretch yourself? See, that's balls in your court. What are you going to do?